Hey, quickly, I promise, quickly, we're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 3. And we're, we're still asking the question, or, or we're still seeking to know what God wants in our lives. What is God's will for us to do? Exodus chapter 3 teaches us that He wants us to join what He's doing. There are lives right now that are being touched. God has a plan for their lives, and He's asking us to come on board and to be a part of that. I'll ask you a question first. What is God doing right now? Is God busy? The answer is yes. God's at work. God's not sitting up in heaven doing nothing, sitting back waiting. Well, I sure do wish First Baptist Nixon would start a mission so I could get involved with it. No, God is up there. He's got plans. He's, gonna, he, he's got things he's working on. Uh, Amos 3.7 says, Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. God has plans. God has things he's wanting to do. And he's going to let us know. He is going to tell us about it. He's always at work. And when he shows us what he's doing, that's our invitation to join him. Now, if, you're, if you've ever gone through experiencing God and you're thinking, wait a minute, this sounds like what Henry Blackaby said. Yeah, you're right. That's where it came from. Because uh, I think he's dead on. We are... Uh, to be looking, searching for what God's doing. Where are you working, God? And you know, the thing is, I've said before, sometimes we have to look for His will. Yeah, we have to, to be sure that we're on the right path. But when God starts working, He's going to show us. We can count on that. And we see it here in Exodus chapter 3, 7 through 10. It says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their sufferings. I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is God's call to Moses. This is God showing up in the burning bush to tell Moses what's going on. Tell Moses, this is what's going to happen. This is your invitation to be involved. I'll ask the question beforehand, did God need Moses? The answer is no. God could have done it his own way. If, God, if Moses had said, no, I'm not going, and then didn't really go, would God have been surprised? No. Would God, God's plans have been thwarted? No. God would have used somebody else. But this was God's invitation to Moses to get involved. We're going to see three things here as we, uh, as we look at this passage. We're going to see, first of all, that God identifies the need, God initiates the rescue, and God invites his people. Let's look at that first one where we see that God identifies the need. Uh, 7 and 9 said, Then the Lord said, I have observed and have heard them crying out, and I know, I've, I've taken some of the, the middle parts out of there, and I know, it says, the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen, observed, heard, know, seen. 
God identified the need. It was not a surprise to God what was going on in Egypt. Remember that he told Jacob, he told Abraham, as a matter of fact, that there would be a time they would be taken into slavery and it would last a long time. This was no shock to God. But there came a point where every, all the, the rivers of, of whatever God's will was came together and God said, now is the time to bring my people home. God is fully aware of what's going on and God is moved by what's going on. He's not surprised, don't be confused. It didn't, didn't say, wait a minute, this isn't what I expected. It's God's perfect time. He knows the need. He's aware of the need and he's not ignoring the need. He is moved by the need. The second thing we see here is that God initiates the rescue. Verse eight. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, this plan was developed without the input of Moses. This wasn't God asking Moses, say, you know, Moses, this is what I think I'm going to do with the, the, the whole Egyptian Israelite thing. How do you feel about that? No, God said, I've come down to rescue them. This is what I'm doing, Moses. This is what's going to happen, Moses. I'm initiating the plan. God had the plan. And then lastly, God invites his people. Uh, verse 10 says, Therefore go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead, the, lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now it was a direct command. Let's understand, God's invitations also all, uh, often come in the form of direct commands. But Moses could have said no. And as we're going to see in a few weeks, argued, uh, Moses argued like the Dickens about this. It gave every reason possible why he could not be the one. And he lost a lot of the blessing of it, as we're going to see when God said, Fine, Aaron will be your mouthpiece if you think you can't talk, but you're go, go and let him do the talking. See, that was not God you know, being conciliatory and saying, okay, Moses, that was God saying, you no longer get the full blessing because you argued about what I told you to do. But we see here that God is inviting. The, the invitation was to be a part of what was going to happen anyway. The church, the, we, the church First Baptist Nixon, the church universal, is invited to be a part of what is gonna, God is going to do in the nations. In Nixon, in Texas, God is saying, I have come down because I want to rescue my people. I want to rescue people. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. Now go. That's our invitation to be a part of it. Now you may ask the question, but is this a, kind of the biblical standard, or is it more of a one-time thing? Well, let's look at Noah for a minute, and let's see if we can find the same pattern here. Genesis uh, chapter 6, verse 12, and we're going to be going through these passages fairly quickly, so if you want to just write them down, look later, or just believe me that this is what they say. Uh, God identifies in 6, 12, God saw how corrupt the earth was, for all flesh had corrupted its way on the earth. God identified the need here. The need was that, 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 that sin had become so rampant, something had to be done about it. God identified the need. God initiates the, the rescue, Genesis 6.13. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. 
Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Now, that's a pretty dramatic and drastic rescue. Kill the entire population except for a handful. But that was the rescue that was needed at that time. And then God invited in verses 14 through 18, and I've uh, condensed this as well. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And he goes through some of the explanations of it, or further explanation. And verse 18, but I will establish my uh, covenant with you. And you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. Now, did God need Noah? Well, the answer is no. God could have created man again. He could have started over completely. As a matter of fact, he could have ended it right there, blown the whole stuff up, started over completely, and Genesis would have happened after Noah, if, if, if that's the way he had wanted to do it. But instead, he said, this is my plan. Noah, this is what I'm doing. Now join me in the plan. And if Noah had said no, maybe one of the sons would have done it. I don't know. We don't have to worry about that. But God invited Let's look at Abraham. Genesis 3, 15. This goes back to creation a little bit. And it says in 3, 15, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the curse that God put on Adam and Eve once they ate the fruit. This is, chapter, uh, verse, 3, 15, uh, verse 15, is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ coming. This is the first time we hear of God's plan to crush the head of the serpent, Satan, and, and the heel of her seed, Jesus, being struck, bruised, the cross. See, Jesus was bruised, but he came back. Satan was crushed and is defeated forever. So you see how that prophecy works. That was God's plan. That was God identifying the need. The need was salvation of humanity, even at the beginning. And so then God initiates, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham because the Lord had already come up with the plan. The Lord knew, I'm going to make this great nation out of Abraham. I'm going to take this one guy, and he's going to have one kid, and that kid's going to have two kids, and one of those kids is going to have 12 kids, and gradually over time, this uh, population explosion is going to occur. And then I'm going to take that population down through the years and train them and guide them and lead them until around 0 A.D., my son is going to be born into that population. God is initiating the plan here. Already has it. Already knows what he's going to do. But he comes to Abraham, and in verses uh, 1b through verse 2, he invites he tells Abraham, go out from your land. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. How will he be a blessing? Ultimately, he will be a blessing because Jesus Christ will come through his lineage and save the world. Let's look at Jesus. Now, let's understand Jesus is God's son, but let's also understand that when Jesus came to earth, Jesus voluntarily set aside some of his divine attributes so that he could fulfill a specific role on earth. Because we question, how did Jesus not know when he was coming back? Because he said, even the Son of Man doesn't know the hour. But Jesus is God. They're one and, and, and the same. How did he not know? Because Jesus voluntarily, upon coming to earth, set aside some of his divine attributes. 
And then God gave them as necessary. He could read men's thoughts. He could, he could do things. He could work miracles. But God worked through him. So, understanding that, then we can look at this and say, well, how does God, how did God identify a problem and how does Jesus solve it? He didn't know it outside of God. He was an intricate part of it. But we'll see Jesus' own words in just a second. God identified the need. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. See, the, the problem is people aren't saved. Ultimately, the problem is people aren't worshiping God, and the only way they can truly worship, the only way they can give God the glory He is due, is for them to be saved. So, the problem is that the people aren't saved. God identified the problem. Secondly, God initiates the, the rescue. We're going to go all the way back to Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. We love that verse at Christmas. And, and rightfully so. This is God initiating the plan. He initiated it before the creation of the world, we're told in other places. But this is a great verse to see God's initiation of what he's going to do. A great light has come. The people walking in darkness have seen that great light. And then God invites. And this is probably the kicker for us because this kind of gives us that, wait a minute, Jesus is God, but you know, what? John... 5, uh, 17 and 19 through 20. But Jesus responded to them, and I've cut this down a little bit too for the screen. My father is still working. I assure you the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing, for the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. So God is doing things, and, and Jesus, as, as God in the flesh, on this earth says, you know, I, I don't, it's not that I know everything God is going to do. It's not that I have divine foreknowledge, though he could have had that if he had wanted it, but he chose to set that aside. He purposefully submitted himself to God and said, I do nothing that I don't see the fathers doing. I watch God, and when he's doing something, that's what I get involved with. Because he loves me. And he shows me what he is doing. Folks, we're no different. Amos 3.7, when it says the prophets are shown what he's doing. For today, we're the prophets. Who has the gospel? Who has the word of God to take to the world? Christians. Who has the plan of salvation in their hearts that they can take to people who don't know it? Christians. God is doing things, and He is inviting us. He is showing us so we can be involved with that. That is our invitation. So, for us, let's join God. What's the need? God identifies the needs of our church, of our town. And Lord knows we've got needs in our town. What went on this morning... If you're not aware, I'm sure you will be. I'm not going to get into that now. But the, the accident that was out on the highway this morning, we have needs. The sickness, the lostness of our town, Texas, our state, the U.S., the world, God identifies the need. And what's the need? Money? No. Clean water? No. Food? No. Clothes to wear? No. Jesus. That's the need.
Now all those other things we need to do, yes. But the need, the one that's going to really make the difference is Jesus. We can take water and, uh, and, and go to Africa and dig a well and, and do nothing else and let people go to hell with a purified body because they drank clean water. We can feed them and let them go to hell full because we took them food. But if we take the gospel, we've affected eternity. In this life, we'll have troubles. But if we can take Jesus, they will have no more troubles. So we need to be about what God is doing. God identifies the need. God initiates for us. God initiates the, the work that he's going to be doing. God is at work all around us. God is doing things. This, uh, this whole deal with in, in, uh, going to Spain, there have been a couple of things that have happened since I've said uh, that, that God has led us to, to, to make this our direction. One of the things that I found just doing some internet search to uh, kind of get to know the, 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 the group better. Wycliffe Bible Translators is a group that, well, does exactly what their name sounds like. They translate the Bible. They send people to a remote area that do, usually that doesn't have a written language. And they learn the language and uh, put the language on paper in the form of a Bible. That's their, that's their mission. Of course, they're witnessing to people while they're there, but their number one goal is to get the Bible in that group's language. And then if there's a literacy problem, teach the people to read their own language so they can read the Bible. I found out literally two or three days after uh, feeling like God was leading us to the Fala of Spain that Wycliffe Bible Translators has a Bible in Fala in that language. They completed it last August. They're in the, 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 the final stages and they're having some issues getting all the, the, the typos and stuff corrected. It's, uh, it sounds a little political, but that they've almost got it done. See, God was at work among the Fala of Spain long before he called us and invited us to, to be a part of it. The second thing I learned this week was that... Uh, I'm going to use Russell. His, his boss is, Russell's boss is a, a Christian who said that, just in a, a discussion one day, so asked what, said that I believe or heard somebody she knew was going to Africa. And Russell said, oh yeah, we're, we're looking at going to Spain at our church. And she said, really? Because her brother? Her friend's brother is... The, uh, Internet, the IMB, International Mission Board's person in charge of missionaries in Spain. So, a connection that I never knew we had, he didn't know we had, until God showed up and said, hey, have you thought about this country? Look at what I'm doing. Look at how I'm bringing pieces to fit together to the calling that I have put on your lives. That's us, people. That's God inviting us to be a part of what he's already doing. And that's in Spain. He's doing that in Nixon. He's doing that in Texas. He's doing that with the, the church planner in Phoenix. He's doing something in a city in North America, a very large city, a, a city that needs churches, 
And he's saying, this is what we're doing. Why do you think I'm telling you I'm doing this in Phoenix? Why do you think we hear about missionaries you know, from random places. We hear about what's God, what God is doing in places, and we think, oh, why do I need to know that? Because that is God inviting you to be involved. Maybe a go, maybe a give, or maybe a pray. But God is inviting you to be involved. But we cannot know. We cannot be invited we cannot be aware of God's call. We won't see what God is doing until we respond to that first invitation. See, God identifies a need in every soul, and that's the need for Him. God identifies that you and I need a Savior. He identifies that sin has corrupted us and that we cannot work our way to heaven. And we cannot have a relationship with Him on our own. God identifies that. But God initiated the rescue when He sent Jesus Christ to be our Son. I'm sorry, to be our Savior. And God is inviting. And I invite you this morning, if you've not made a decision, if you, if you have not joined God in this way, that you do it this morning. Admit that you're a sinner that you've broken God's law, that you cannot and will not live up to the standard that God has placed. But he didn't stop there. That's the need. That's the problem. God initiated the rescue. He sent his son. So if we believe, simple as believing, that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross, and by dying on the cross, he took my sin. He paid my punishment. And then three days later, he rose from the grave to give us a hope, to show us, I have conquered death, therefore, as my children, you can conquer death. If we believe that, and we confess with our mouths, with our lives, through baptism, we confess we will be saved. We'll join God not just on mission, not just on doing good things, not just in taking the gospel, but we will have joined God for eternity. Amen. That is the best time you can, you'll join God. And then he's going to give you so many other opportunities to join him again. Let's pray. Father, we ask today that you would impress on our hearts, Lord, that you would change us, that you would work on us, that today we would join you, whether it's for the first time in salvation, God, or you are calling us to join you in some other way. Move on the hearts of the people this morning. If there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, draw them closer. Lord, let us respond. Yes, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. If that means leading down the aisle this morning to get some things straightened out that I don't understand, let's do it. If that means going to a foreign country, let's do it. God, wherever you lead, we'll go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you need to ask yourself, what is he inviting you to do? What is he asking you to be a part of? Is he asking you to join him for the first time? Do that this morning. Let's get it straight. Is he asking you to join our church? Let's do that. Is he asking you to be a part of missions and ministry in a way that, that you're scared of, that you thought there's no way, God, why are you putting this in front of me, God? He's inviting you. 
Maybe you need to be baptized. You've accepted Christ, but you've never taken that step. Let's get it straight. 